0: We're going to continue in our worship through the preaching of God's word. And so I want to read our verses for us this morning, which are found in Genesis chapter 24 and 25. We'll be reading the end of 24 and a couple of verses in 25 as well. So you can turn to it in your own copy of God's word to read along or it'll be on the screens as well. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 62, it says this, now Isaac had come from 'er Be'er Lahiroi. For he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac and all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Skipping down to verses 7 and 8 and 25, it says, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years. And he was gathered to his people. If you will bow with me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you so much for the gift of your word that in it are the words to life, that it is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for Pastor Kevin, Lord, that as he faithfully preaches and proclaims your word, Lord, that you'd give him clarity of mind. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, God, that as we come in with all sorts of distractions and hindrances, Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity of mind as well. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, that you give us ears to hear, hearts that are willing and ready to be shaped and molded and conformed into the image of your son, Jesus, Lord. Help us leave here this morning looking more like you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. For being here, as you may have guessed uh, by listening to the passages that were just read, Uh, we are concluding today our series that we have been in over the last 10 weeks uh, on the life of Abraham. Uh, You heard what Ryan just read, chapter 25, and Abraham breathed his last. Abraham lived 175 years and Abraham breathed his last. Genesis 25 effectively closes the chapter on the life of Abraham. When we began 10 weeks ago in Genesis 12, we saw where God called Abraham to leave the land that he was living in at the time and to go to this land that God would show him. But that call, that command came with the promise, go to this land and I will make you into a great nation. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through this nation, I will bless the entire world. Abraham believed and he left and he went to that land. The only problem was at that point, Abraham and his wife, Sarah had no children and they were old at this point. Abraham at this point in his life, was 75. His wife was 65. They had no children and years went by and the promise was there, but there was no child. The promise was there, but there was no heir. The promise was there, but it had not become reality. And then finally, after 25 years, when Abraham was hundred years old and Sarah was 90 years old, they were finally blessed with a child. They named this child Isaac, and Isaac grew up, and Abraham and Sarah said, finally, the promise can now become reality. The promise of becoming a great nation with great descendants can now become reality. The only problem was, years went by, and Isaac didn't get married. And if it was going to become a reality, if there was going to be a great nation, the boy had to get married and start having children, and fast. Fast. And years went by, and it did not happen. Genesis 24 is all about Abraham working to find a wife for Isaac. It's a long chapter. In fact, it is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's why we did not read the whole thing. However, there are a couple of things I want you to note about this chapter. When you go back to verse 3, Abraham at this point is very old. He needs to find a wife For Isaac, but he commissions his servant, his trusted servant, a man named Eleazar to go and to do this. And notice what he says to Eleazar says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, I know at first when you read this, it sounds strange to our modern ears that Abraham, the parent, is picking a wife for his son. We read that and we think, that doesn't sound right. I mean, what if he picks a girl for Isaac and Isaac doesn't love her? She doesn't love him. And with our modern ears, we hear this and we go, that's not right. However, we need to stop and pause for a moment and consider the fact that in our modern context where we have romance and dating and fireworks and all this work to find the perfect one who is the perfect match and you'll always love this person and she's the inspiration and you'll never fail me. And we have all of those things and yet we've got about a 50% divorce rate in our modern culture. So I'm not saying that we need to, to, to adopt what they did here. However, we don't need to look down our modern judgmental noses at this ancient practice. So Abraham took on the responsibility of finding a wife for his, his son Isaac. And the main criteria he had was that this girl, this future bride, would not come from Canaan not among the people in in the territory in which he was living. This was not because of some sort of racial reason. It was because the people in the area where he was living worshiped foreign gods. Specifically, they worshiped the gods Baal and Asherah. And Abraham did not want Isaac to marry a woman who would turn his heart away from God. So Abraham says to Eliezer, go back to my home country. There you can find a wife who loves the Lord, who is pursuing God. Abraham's relatives, many of them had, had abandoned God, but many of them had stayed true to God. And so he wants Eliezer to go back to his homeland and to find a girl where Isaac would be equally yoked with this girl. Here's a second criteria. Verse five, the servant asked him, what if the wo- <clears throat> woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land. Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Here's Abraham's reply. Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son, from there so Eliezer at this point is obviously anxious Uh, he is worried about the situation all these what if questions come to his mind and the main one is what if I go and I find a wife for Isaac but the family says if Isaac wants to marry her they have to come here and they have to live here not back in Canaan and Abraham replies if they say that the deal is off If they say that, you can cancel the whole arrangement. God did not call me out of that place and give me this promised land only for my descendants to go back to that place. If they don't come here, then you can cancel the whole deal. But notice that Abraham knew that would not happen. He says in the end, God will send his angel before you and he will pave the way for this to happen. Eleazar may have been worried, but Abraham was not. He had been through the fire with God. He had seen God prove himself time and time again. And so Abraham had complete confidence. You go, Eliezer, and you will find the girl for my son Isaac, and she will be willing to come back here. The rest of chapter 24 is all about that. Again, it is a long chapter. Eliezer goes. He meets Rebecca, who would become the future wife of Isaac. She agrees to come back to Canaan. And as you read that chapter, the hand of God is obvious through the entire chapter. That God had indeed sent his angel before Eliezer. He had worked out all the details and everything works out for Rebecca to return to Canaan with Eliezer. You heard Ryan read that passage earlier. There she meets Isaac. There they get married. Finally, the line can continue. Abraham, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob, the line, these uh, descendants of Abraham can finally become a reality. Then you turn over to chapter 25 and here's what we read. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, a man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. We see two things here. Abraham was given a quantity of life. He lived 175 years, even though people then lived longer. That was a long time. And he died a man full of years. That phrase, full of years, other, uh, other places in the Old Testament is translated satisfied. In other words, he got to the end of his days and he looked back on his life and he said, I am satisfied with the way that I lived my life. God gave me a lot of years and those years were good. I think it is safe to say that is the goal for all of us. That when we come to the end of our days, when our time is drawing to an end, that we're able to look back like Abraham and say, the Lord gave me a good number of years, but more importantly, he gave me quality of life. I am satisfied with the way that I live my life. Now, if that is the goal, to look back one day and to be able to say that, how do we get there? It doesn't just happen. You don't just fall into a life that works out exactly the way you want it to work out you have to be intentional about it. So how can we, like Abraham, get to the point that when we're at the end of our days, we can look back and say, my life was full. I was satisfied with my life. If you're uh, around 40 years old or older, uh, you are familiar with the name Robin Williams. If you're Not quite that age, somewhere south of 40. You may not know that name. He was one of the best actors Hollywood has ever seen. Uh, Sadly, he died uh, several years ago, but not after a roughly 30-year career with tons of hit movies and television shows. Um, He was just this incredible actor. Most people will argue that the best movie he ever made was Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) If you're familiar with that movie, you know the story. He becomes this British nanny so that he can keep uh, his kids, spend more time with his kids because he and his wife are separated. It is is a great movie. It is hilarious. It is very enjoyable. But it was not his best movie. Uh, The problem with that argument that that was his best movie is that it's just wrong. (laughs) His best movie was from the 1980s. The movie Dead Poets Society was the best movie by far that he ever made. If you're not familiar with that movie, in the movie, Williams plays the role of an English teacher at an all-boys boarding school in Vermont, a fictional school in Vermont. The first day of class... Williams has his class go into a hallway that leads into the school and stand in the hallway. He teaches the class with the trophy case behind him. The trophy case has all of these trophies from all of these years past where these sports teams had played. And there are photographs in this trophy case of all these past teams, football teams, lacrosse teams, soccer teams, baseball teams, All these black and white photographs going back a hundred years. The boys stand on the other side and he teaches the class and he has them read this old poem. And in the poem, there is the phrase carpe diem. And he asks the class, do any of you know the Latin phrase carpe diem, how to translate that phrase? And one of the boys speaks up and says, yeah, I remember that from Latin class, carpe diem. It means seize the day. He says, exactly. That's exactly right. Seize the day. Then he has the boys walk over to the trophy case. And he says to these boys, I want you to spend some moments perusing the trophy case. I want you to look at the photographs. I want you to look in their faces. And for several moments, these boys look at these photographs. And then William says this to them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts. Same haircuts full of hormones, just like you, invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they are destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make even one iota of what their lives were capable because you see gentlemen these boys are now fertilizing daffodils but if you listen real close you can hear them whisper their legacy to you lean in listen do you hear it carpe diem seize the day boys Make your lives extraordinary. It is a powerful scene. It is a memorable line in a movie. In fact, everyone in my generation knows the phrase carpe diem and how to translate it because of this hit movie. It makes for a great scene in the movie. However, at the end of the day, what does it mean? What does it mean to make your life extraordinary? What does it mean to seize the day? In fact, if I sat down with you and I said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make your life extraordinary. And you said, okay, I'm willing to do that. Tell me how. And I said to you, carpe diem, seize the day. What does that mean? How do I do that? How do I wake up every day and seize the day? It it reminds me of those posters that you see in schools or sometimes in offices with all these inspirational quotes. You know, like the one of a cat that's hanging by a claw nail from a rope, you know, and just about to fall, and at the bottom it says, No matter what happens, hang in there. Oh, okay. Well, that's all I have to do. You see, I I got to the office this morning and I was really worried about this project, and I'm gonna get fired. And you know. The mortgage company's about to foreclose on my house, you know, and I've got this major disease, and all, but all I gotta do is hang in there, right? I mean, that's all I've got to do. Or, or, or the poster of a dog, and the dog's just gotten out of the bath and is shaking, and water's going everywhere, and the bottom it says, no matter what happens, shake it off. <laughs> okay, Taylor Swift, that's great. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with that. Let's face it, empty platitudes and cliches will not lead you to a full satisfied life. If that were the case, when you came in, we would just give all of you the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, and send you on your way and say, go live by this and you'll be fine. There's got to be more to it. The reason that Abraham was able to look back on his life and say, I am satisfied with the life that God gave me, was not because he abided by all of these empty cliches. It was not because he saw these posters all over Canaan. You know, here's how to live your life. No, there were some things that he did specifically so that when he got to the end of his days, he was able to say, I I have a life that was full. It was full of years in quantity and in quality. There are four examples that we see In the life of Abraham, three of these are specifically mentioned in the New Testament as examples that we are to follow if we want to have a full life. This is on your message map. I titled this, How to Make Your Life Count. And the first that we see in the life of Abraham is this, to receive salvation through faith. If you have been here for this series, you understand this is something that we have highlighted. A major aspect of Abraham's life That his salvation did not come through works, but it came through his faith. This faith of Abraham is referenced several times uh, in the New Testament. Paul references references it in Romans 4, where he wrote, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A quote from Genesis 15. And then in verse 5, Paul wrote, To the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Paul here uses this as an argument, this story from Genesis, to say we can never ever attain salvation by works, but only through faith. Abraham believed in this promise of God, and it was credited as righteousness. We would say using our modern vernacular, that Abraham was saved through his faith in this promise. Simply put, going all the way back to Genesis, to this early story, we see that this was God's plan from the very beginning. This was God's redemptive plan for man. It wasn't that Jesus was was God's plan B. It wasn't that God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments and then looked around and said, oh, man, they can't keep those. They're breaking all the rules. I don't know what to do. What do we do with these human people who can't seek to keep the rules that I've given to them? What do we do? I know, Jesus, you go to earth, you keep all the rules, but then you go to the cross and you pay the penalty for them and their sin and all the rules they've broken. And then through faith in what you've done, then they can be saved. From the very beginning, this was God's plan. And we see this in Genesis 15, that Abraham was not saved because he was good enough, that he followed all the rules, but it was through faith in the promise that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. This was the most important aspect of Abraham's life and is the most important aspect of our lives as well. There will come a day for every one of us in this room. Unless Jesus comes back first, there will come a day just like Robin Williams referenced in Dead Poets Society that we are fertilizing daffodils. There will come a day that we take our last breath. And at that moment, the most important thing about your life is not how much money you made or whether or not you made the team or your grades, your career path, whatever accolades you got in life, where you lived, who you married, how many children you had, where you retired, none of those things compare at all to the most important thing in your life. And that is, did you by faith trust in Jesus Christ? And here's what is So interesting. There will come a moment that I take my last breath, that you take your last breath. And what matters most is your faith. However, in an instant, you will no longer live by faith. In an instant, you will go from faith to sight. What you've had faith in, this living hope, what you've looked forward to will now be reality. And faith will no longer be necessary. Because you'll be in the presence of the Lord living by sight. If you want to be able to look back on your life, this is number one. To receive salvation by faith. If you want a full satisfied life. Secondly, to have a life that counts, live faithfully. Here's what that means. Living faithfully is doing what the Lord has made clear in his word for all of us to do. It is... It is serving. It is following the commands of Scripture. It is giving generously. It is spending time praying, spending time reading the Word of God, not living your life like the rest of the world. In our culture today, we have a lot of folks who have this loose attachment to Christianity. We often refer to them as nominal Christians. Sometimes it's it's cultural Christians. Maybe they made a decision way back when at some event or some camp or some sort of VBS kind of thing, and, and that was their faith decision. Or maybe there was never a decision made. They just have this tradition in their family. And so they, you know, every Christmas and every Easter, they make their way to church to celebrate the High Holy Days. Last week at church, we had over 2,200 people there here that week. I don't think we're going to reach that this week. Why? Why? Where, where is everybody? Where are all those that were here last week? Well, last week was Easter, and we got to go on Easter. You know, it's, it's one of the two big ones, so we got to dress up. Got to go to lunch afterwards, get all the pictures made. Uh, and there's just this loose attachment to church. But at the end of the day, the way they think, The way they speak, the way they act, it's just like the rest of the world. In the book of James, and if you're not familiar with the New Testament book of James, James is all about, you cannot say that I have faith in Christ and yet live like the rest of the world. James says, if you've got faith, then it has to practically play out in your life. And James uses Abraham as an example to make his argument. Notice what James wrote. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now understand this, none of us are perfect, especially the guy on stage right now. None of us are perfect. Abraham was not perfect. He had times that he acted out of fear rather than faith. He had times that he just flat out disobeyed God. But the arc of his life was faithful living. Over the long haul, his faith in God made a difference in how he lived his life. In other words, the overall direction of his life was bent towards faithful living. Why? Because what we would call his salvation experience changed him. You cannot say, I've got faith in Christ, but live unfaithfully. James says that argument does not hold water. And and here's one of the things that I've, I've observed over the years. I have on several occasions been in hospital rooms and in hospice rooms as people are getting close to the end. I have never one time heard someone in that bed, knowing that the end is near, say to me, boy, I really wish I'd spent more of my life sinning. I really wish I had been more disobedient to the Lord. I've never heard anyone say that. I've heard a number who have said, I've got so many regrets. I really wish I'd followed the Lord more faithfully. If you want a life that counts then live faithfully according to God's word. Now, at the same time that you do that, also walk by faith. Now, what are the difference between those two? Living faithfully means I'm following what I know in scripture. I'm following the commands of God. And you can live your entire life faithfully, but not walk by faith. Walking by faith is saying to God, God, I am open to whatever it is that you want me to do. And I am following you. And if you call me to do this thing, even if it is scary, then God, I am willing to do it. I am willing to walk by faith. Again, the writer of Hebrews uses Abraham as an example of someone who walked by faith. Notice what he wrote. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham at this point easily could have played it safe. He could have said said to God, God, I trust you. I've got faith in you. I'm going to live according to your commands, but I'm not going there to Canaan. I like it here. This is a place I know. It's familiar. My family is here. I know how to get food here. I'm not going to take that chance and to go to this place. I'm way too scared. But somehow Abraham knew that if he did that, he would get to the end of his days and look back with regret. There are times that God will call us to do something that is out of our comfort zone, to trust him and to do something that is by faith. Whatever that is, it always has to line up with the word of God. Years ago, I heard this guy say that God had called him to leave his wife and to go into shack up with this girl half his age. I promise you, that was not God's call. He may have heard that call, but it was not from God. Whatever it is, it has to line up with the word of God. But there are times that God will come and will clearly say, I want you to do this thing. And it's scary. It's scary. And I want you to serve in this way. And I want you to take a chance. And I want you to follow me faithfully in this. And when you say yes to God in that, you never look back with regret. Then finally, here's the last thing. How to make your life count. Finish strong. This is a big one. Chapter 24 begins with these words. Abraham was now very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. Chapter 24 is all about Abraham and the last task that God has for him. Abraham, you still need to serve me. You're very old, but I've got something for you to do. And that is to find a wife for your son. Abraham at this point could have said, look, God, I have served you for almost 175 years. Let's be honest. That's a long time. I, I have done my duty. I am now on cruise control. You let some younger people serve you. Find someone who is younger, and they can go and find a wife for Isaac. I I am tired, God, and I'm not going to serve you anymore. But Abraham did not do that. He had this last call of God, this last task that had to be fulfilled. And he might have been old and weak, but in Abraham's mind, as long as he had breath in his lungs... He was going to serve God when I came to this church back in 2007 there was a lady in the church named mrs. Durham mrs. Durham when I came here in 07 was 90 years old uh, she uh, died uh, seven years later in 2014 uh, at 97 years old not long after I came here she had to go into an assisted living facility She wanted to stay connected to the church. And so another lady in the church that many of you in this room will remember, a lady named Miss Alice Boyd. Miss Alice Boyd was friends with Miss Durham. Miss Alice is now in heaven as well. And Miss Alice called me one day and said, every Sunday afternoon, we are going to go to this assisted living facility and to visit with Miss Durham. Would you do me a favor? Would you send me a copy of your sermon? And so every Friday, I would send Miss Alice a copy of my sermon. Miss Alice would then take that sermon. She would blow up the font on it. She would print it out. She would then come to church on Sunday morning. She would get a bulletin and a newsletter from the church, and she would take that, she would put it with my sermon, and on Sunday afternoon, she would go and she would visit with Miss Durham, and she would give Miss Durham all this information. Eventually, Miss Durham became bedridden, Uh, She was just not able to do much, and she was very frustrated that she could not serve the Lord the way that she had served the Lord for all these years. And so, Miss Alice and I came up with a plan. That's not entirely true. Miss Alice came up with a plan. I agreed to the plan. If you knew Miss Alice, you agreed to whatever plan she had. She came up with a great plan. She said, When I go and visit Mrs. Durham, I'm going to take her a copy of your sermon, I'm going to take her the bulletin, I'll take her the newsletter. But as well, I would like to take her prayer requests. And if you've got any prayer requests, to me personally, she said this, that maybe you don't want broadcast to everybody, whether they're personally for you or just things you know are going on in the church, would you give me those prayer requests as well? And so every Sunday, she would take those prayer requests to Mrs. Durham. And Mrs. Durham became a prayer warrior for the church. I mean, she could not do much, but she had lots of time on her hands and she would lay in that bed and she would pray and she would pray and she would knock on the door of heaven and she would pray until the angels were celebrating her prayers. Roughly every month for about a three year period, she would send me a letter. And in the letter, she would always say, I'm really enjoying your sermons, Uh, It's the lie that everybody tells pastors. (laughs) When you walk out and you say, good sermon, I know. So she would do the same thing. Thank you for your sermons. I'm really enjoying your sermons. You know, here's what's going on in the church. You know, I'm really excited about that. And toward the end of her days, um, the letters became harder and harder to read. I could tell that her hand was getting shaky. Her eyesight was going bad. And it would take me a while to decipher those letters, but it was always worth it, every time. In December of 13, just five months before she died, she wrote me this letter. I I think it was her last letter to me Pastor Kevin, thank you for sending me your sermons each week. I read in the link, let me pause there. The link used to be the name of our newsletter. And I thought it was the most creative title because you would get it by email and there was a link and you would click on the link and it would take you to our newsletter. And so the link was the title of what you had to click on as well as if you read the newsletter, you could stay linked in with what was going on in the church. And I thought it was the most creative title and somebody killed it. I have no idea (laughs) why that title of our newsletter went away, but it, it did. But back then it was the link. So she wrote, I read in the link that we have a lot of mission projects this season. I pray for us every day. And when I can't sleep, I turn the time over to the Lord. I always have prayed then. And I feel so close to our heavenly father in the quiet, peaceful nighttime. He brings things to my mind. I might not know when we are pushed and rushed with things that occupy our time. God is so S-O-O-O, God is so good to me. And I thank him and praise his holy name for all the blessings too numerous to count. I read that letter and simultaneously I felt encouraged and convicted. Encouraged because of the way that she was praying and her attitude toward life and convicted Because she was praising God and thankful for the blessings that she had while she was confined to a hospital bed. And I was in a funk because a drive-thru messed up my order earlier that day. And I thought, man, I cannot believe that she is praising God and thankful for the blessings. And in my situation, I'm acting like it's been an awful day because somebody messed up an order. For believers, everything in your life is pointing towards that day that you will take your final breath. And on that day, your faith then matters the most. And right now, right now, in this moment, in these days, you are writing the story of your life. So here's the question. What will that story be?